Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to yet another episode of Help from Future Self, episode 12. It's Casual Keyforge Podcast amongst Keyforge pals. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, a.k.a. Alex, and I am joined, as I am every week, by my pal. We call him Coach or Boulevard Paper Fight. It's Blake. Yo, what's going on, everyone? And a very special guest, a person that we've played a lot of Keyforge with locally here in the Vancouver scene, it's Jonathan Donegan filling in for Rick. What's happening, Jonathan? Hey, how's it going, guys? So excited to have you here on the show. Um, yeah, we really are. Yeah, it's been wonderful getting to know you, getting to play Keyforge with you over the course of the last couple of months. You're one of the very first people that I remember at my first Chainbound event I, I had a game against. And since then, we've played so many times. Really excited to get your perspective on some of the stuff that we talk about here on Help from Future Self. Let's get things started. Blake, you wanted to talk a little bit about what's been happening with the Prime Championships and specifically some uncertainty around format and the way that the event is being run. Yeah, I did want to address that, uh, Alex, because basically there seems to be some sort of mishaps occurring on one end or another, but there's a lot of mixed information going around. And so far, we were told that the Prime Championship entry or application process ended on the 31st of July. Um, a lot of stores were not even aware there was an application process. Um, apparently, the the biggest news release was the Facebook and Twitter posts saying that it was closed. And a lot of stores were left in the dark. And I know a lot of different podcasts uh, are kind of talking about this in one way or another because of the disappointment and wondering what's going on. And uh, when I followed up with our local store at Magic Stronghold, uh, they said they submitted the application, submitted photos, did everything they were supposed to do and have not heard back. And you're supposed to have heard back already. So um, I'm hoping that the teams at FFG and whatever groups are behind organizing this are recognizing that there was a ball dropped here and there's going to be some sort of uh, allowance to have the process reinitiated and maybe postponed for a later date than they were originally anticipating because it seems like uh, this was not handled properly and that we could be missing out on a prime championship as a result and a lot of other people as well. I mean, I guess my my big thing with it is that the prime championship, and you and I were chatting about this a little bit online earlier, mm -hmm. is an opportunity for folks who don't live in a major center to still go to a relatively major Keyforge event. Um, you know, our, our scene in Vancouver here is good, and there's lots of folks who play, but obviously we're not going to rival a center like Seattle or Los Angeles or New York or Washington or Toronto even when it comes to just density of population. And the Prime Championship, when it was first announced, really struck me as being an opportunity for, you know, you're not going to get a vault tour to Vancouver, but maybe you can have this event, and this event would sort of be the equivalent for the local players. And so for then you know, that opportunity to be kind of snatched away or never have been on the table in the first place feels, it doesn't feel good, I don't think. Jonathan, let me ask you a question. Does it matter to you to have access to sort of bigger local Keyforge events? Is that something you're interested in playing in? Oh, for sure, yeah. I think the opportunity just to meet new communities and different players and, and broaden your horizons with what other cities are doing is, is super important for the game to grow. Um, it's one of those things where like, we have our Vancouver community here and uh, we see all the great faces around there, but it's also so exciting to see new people come aboard. Um, we're always expanding, but you, it's always great to see new people from different cities come and join the, join the game. We have actually been expanding. I feel like we've had a new player almost every week for the last month. For which sure. Has been yeah. awesome. It's been, it's been fantastic. 
Let me ask you an even more pointed version of that question, starting with you, Jonathan. Do you feel that a lack of big supported directly by FFG events will impede the game from growing, period? If there's no such thing as a prime championship, nothing that ever comes to Vancouver, is that setting a cap on Vancouver ever getting to grow further than it already has? Yeah, I think it's just even capping the market, right? Because not everybody can really afford to fly over over to the States or North America or Europe, wherever those tournaments are going on. Yeah, it limits their um, potential to expand, really. Um, getting more people coming um, and bringing new things to the game. Uh, the aspect of trying to get more people to play in our community um, and try to go bigger and, and go further in the tournament and get your name on the boards like you see a lot in the Master Vault, uh, all of them primarily are from um, America because they have more readily available tournaments. They can get on the power levels uh, a lot easier, the bigger leaderboards. Uh, it would be nice to see some um, some local Canadians getting up there. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on that. I think I think it is important. And I mean, the one great thing is there is actually a grand championship in uh, in Canada, and it's on the the 24th, I believe, the weekend of the 24th in Toronto. But I mean, it wasn't really advertised or anything like that. There was there's kind of a level of of as advertisement that's really kind of uh, being dropped here. So it's it's a little bit unfortunate. Hopefully yeah, we'll see sure. that change as it grows, because I know there are a lot of Canadian players and I think a lack of 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 high level tournaments is what's going to keep the game from expanding at a certain point, because if we're going to be pulling over people from other games like Pokemon or Magic, they're used to being able to play very easily and readily in high level tournaments. And if those don't exist, their their willingness to come over and show their skills at that high level will not be able to be put to the test. And it could be a factor that uh, prevents them from really migrating over and adopting Keyforge as part of one of their, their strategy games. To give the game the benefit of the doubt, I would put forward that we're still at a stage where Keyforge is very young. The game is literally less than a year old if we want to go from the date of a release to the general public, which is in November of 2018, uh, if you'll recall. So it may just be that due to its general popularity, they might not have had a lot of plans in place because they had no idea the game would take off in the way that it has. As we all know, the game is now the third most popular trading card game on the market just behind Pokemon and Magic. So uh, it's quite possible that we're still seeing those growing pains as they try to figure out, you know, what their tournament structure looks like and so on and so forth. I think the biggest problem at this point is announcing things and then having either misinformation or a lack of clarity about what those things actually entail and what organizers have to do at a regional and a store level to actually make them happen for local players. And I hope that they're learning from sort of the, this experience so that as the game goes forward into the new year, we're actually going to see all these things operate a little bit more smoothly. For sure. I would really like them seeing to reach out to stores, um, kind of what Brett was saying to have better communication of when those big tournaments are coming up. Um, the only time I found out about the, the Prime Champs was through Blake uh, and our, our local Facebook group. Um, it seems like you really have to go hunting either on Reddit or some of the forums on FFG to find that information. Yeah, and I only found out from another podcast, basically, Archon's Corner. The Wookiee was talking about 
how in his region he's facing the same thing where four stores literally had no idea this was there they didn't even receive any information about it and um it kind of started making my blood boil hearing and i was like i was like oh my goodness we haven't even heard anything about this and then luckily with the sunday we went to magic stronghold which is the obvious place where something like that would be held in vancouver and i was pleased to know that they did do all the steps to go through the application process and uh, put in their request to be a store to hold a prime championship but it just seems like who knows what's going on on the back end after that's done I would hope that communication would be such that even if they were not going to give us the prime championship, they would at the very least send an email to say, you know, thank you for your application. But unfortunately, we will not be able to partner with you at this time. We shall see going forward. Tune in to further episodes of Help from Future Self as we update on these stories as they develop on to another segment. We debuted this one a little while back. It's called Would You Rather? And essentially, it is a very basic which card would you rather have in your deck setup? And I believe, Blake, you're the one who has picked out some cards for Jonathan and I to choose from this week. Yes, uh, I'm going to switch it up a little this time and not just give two, but it's going to be four cards done in two pairs. So the first one I have is uh, it's Urchin versus Ronnie Wrist Clocks. So just to give you a breakdown on the cards, I'm sure most people are familiar with these, but... Uh, just to refresh your memory, Urchin is a one power elf thief creature that is elusive and has a playability of steal one ember. Ronnie Wristclocks is a two power elf thief creature that has a playability of steal one ember. If your opponent has seven or more, steal two ember. So I pose the question to you first as our guest, Jonathan. Would you rather have Urchin in your deck or Ronnie? And why? I think it would also depend on what kind of wave it is in. Um, with the urchins, you get the benefit of possibly having Fagin, uh, which is probably one of the strongest um, Shadows creatures from set one um, of Coda. Um, but I feel like Ronnie um, in any situation is always a better choice, uh, primarily because you have that one where it's always stealing one, but if it's situational that they have seven or more, you get to steal two. So the net gain on that is obviously higher than Urchin. It also has more sustainability on the board, so it can survive a few um, direct um, damage because uh, it is a two-power creature. Okay, and Alex? I would agree 100% with Jonathan. Uh, you and I have talked about this previously, but there's almost a hierarchy of Keyforge powers. Um, I think the trade-off in this case is supposed to be that elusive on the part of the Urchin you know, makes up for the potential to possibly steal a second Amber. And there's no comparison as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the value in being able to always steal one, it's there on both creatures, but that extra possibility of stealing an extra Amber if your opponent is over seven, right at seven, you're taking them off a key. And that is incredible and incredibly useful. So yeah, a uh, hundred times out of a hundred, I think I would probably take Ronnie with the exception of what Jonathan noted, if there's a Fagin in the mix. For me, I'm I'm on the same same train of Ronnie. And for me, it's not just about that. It's some of the other cards that exist within the set that being able to recur Ronnie through things like Exhum or bring it back through a Glimmer, things like that. Just having that ability to take someone from seven to five, it's not just one, is very powerful. Or if, even if it's a clinching out the game and stealing two from like eight to six, but it puts you in check. Just things like that, it's the swing, I think, is what makes it so much more powerful. And, uh, I mean, the art is incredible on both the cards, but 
I would have to say that I would go for two power and the potential for two steel over elusive and one. All right. So now the second cards, a pair that I want to bring in, both have a similar effect, but also have similar pros and cons, I think. And I think this one is a little bit harder because it's not as as uh, straightforward as the other two with there being the potential for two steel. So the next set is Umbra, which is a two power elf thief creature with skirmish that has a fight ability of steel one ember. And then the second one is Naughty the Thief, which is a also a two power elf thief, but with elusive that has an action of steel one. So Alex, we'll start off with you this time. Would you rather have Umbra in your deck or Naughty the Thief? I go Umbra. Um, I'll tell you why, especially in Age of Ascension, there's lots of opportunities in Shadows to give a creature elusive if you're interested in that. Additionally, if you're playing against an Age of Ascension deck, there are so many fight abilities that your opponent might have that benefit from you having a, a body on the board that they can fight into with no repercussion. I'm ta- thinking about things like Grok and Brobnar, where, you know, you fight, your opponent loses one. That's a pain to deal with if you've got elusive bodies out there where they can, you know, then fight into your line with no repercussions. Whereas I think with Umbra, uh, you're not only getting sort of the the fight, so you're doing two damage, it's skirmish, so nothing happens back to Umbra, and you're getting the steal. It beats Naughty's ability plus elusive to my mind. Jonathan, how about you? Yeah, 100% agree with Alex. Um, just having the, the on-board presence as well, that it's always a threat there. Um, because it has skirmish, it's harder to deal with. The opponent has to deal with that creature, either by spot removal or attacking into it. Um, I feel like with Naughty's action, um, it's harder to get a gain off that and just tap that character. Um, there's a lot of cards, uh, as Alex pointed out, in the Age of Ascension, that uh, that elusive will actually is a benefit to them, um, which is a really um, apparent thing in AOA, where you can use your opponent's creatures against them in certain ways. Um, for Umbra, uh, there's also the ability to play off house where you can ready another creature and use them to fight, which then will give you that steal ability. Um, Brabnar comes to mind. Um, they're very good at uh, readying another creatures um, just purposely for fighting. So you get the benefit of shadows from another house. Um, so Umbra would be my pick as well. What about you, Blake? Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. I'm kind of in the same boat as well. And not to mention, there's a lot of targets that exist that are at the two power level that you want to deal with. So you can use Umbra as a means of also dealing with that and gaining an Ember as as well. So it just has nothing but upside. I mean, it is easier to kill in a fight because you only need one creature to get rid of it as opposed to Naughty, which would take two creatures. But I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, there's so many elusive um, trips that will make things like Grok go off that you don't really want that. I mean, there's a lot of things that that fall into that category. Um, you have like Mars creatures that want to fight into elusive for no, no, like no drawback. I mean, you have the, all the ambassadors, if you want to get them to go off or maybe even like a gray rider, things like that. If they fight into an elusive, they, they get their trigger without taking any of the damage. I just feel like there's, there's more things that will benefit from not taking damage the first time they fight than there is for something like Umbra. So uh, I agree. I think it poses uh, a way larger threat on the board and you have to play with it and around it if you're on the other side. 
Also worth noting the fact that if you're playing against a Repatriate deck, neither Umbra or Naughty has an advantage over the other. Both of their powers are triggered by a non-reap action, which means they both have value, which means that it's basically, uh, for one of the major archetypes of the Age of Ascension, they're both totally valid to use against. All right, now now let's find out who the real winner is, because we were unanimous on our choices between the two. Now, if it's Ronnie versus Umbra, who do you choose at that point? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think because if it's Umbra in uh, Age of Ascension, uh, I would go for Umbra. She has the ability to um, stay on the board and become almost like a pseudo-taunt for your opponent, uh, which means they kind of want to deal with them as soon as possible because they don't want to um, get that back from it. Uh, Ronnie can be situational um, on benefits of, yes, it can take your opponent off a key, uh, but can also hold up your hand quite a bit. Umbra, you just want to get it out there, get it ready for your next turn, and make your opponent deal with it. I think it has a bit more flexibility in it. Alex, how about you? Uh, I think this is our first disagreement, because I go Ronnie. The reason for that is that uh, I always prefer a bird in the hand, and I feel like not having to do anything other than play the card and get the one amber steel at a bare minimum to me has a lot of value. Obviously, with Umbra, you might see more benefit from it, but it's a fast-moving game. Even in the Age of Ascension, you have no guarantee that Umbra is ever going to get value for you other than just having be to be something that has to be dealt with. So, uh, yeah, I- I'm going to go with the conservative choice and say uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush and, and say Ronnie risk clocks. What about you, Mike? I'm with you, Alex. I, I think Ronnie and... The main reason is, is that there are bigger boards. There are more things that can deal with Umbra. You have to wait a turn to use it. There is a chance you don't even call Shadows next turn because it doesn't make sense. Where Ronnie is going to do what it needs to do right away, whether that's put someone off a key or get you that one Ember so you can be in check. I just feel it has more utility as a playability, and especially with cards like Exume uh, that can play it out of house if it's in your discard. Things like that, I feel really add value to Ronnie. Like I think Exhum Ronnie is the the ultimate Exhum card to be choosing almost nine times out of ten. All right, let's move on to some more discussion. I have to offer you congratulations, Jonathan. It's my understanding that you took down one of our local events last night and got yourself a sweet Sanctum playmat. Yeah, that's right. Um, we were playing a sealed tournament. It was a low turnout, but we got to see um, two new faces, which was great. Yeah, it was. Uh, everybody kind of pulled these weird decks, so it was kind of interesting tournament, to be honest. I heard you had a very interesting deck. Mats was uh, was telling me about it. He was he was sad that he came second to you. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> he, um, no, it was it was all it was it was really good um, good games that we had. Um, I had one of these weird kind of decks where I have no steel potential. I have no real capture unless my uh, board presence is there. Um, so I had Sanctum, Untamed, and Logos. Um, one of the things with, with it is it was almost like a burst deck, but it can only burst if your opponent has a burst deck. Um, let me explain why that is, because it has probably one of the most broken things I feel in this current new set with the Binite, Rupture, Interdimensional Graph combo. Oh, it- gosh. For those who don't know, Binary Rupture is an alpha card uh, in Logos. Uh, when you play it, you get to double your alpha or your amber uh, and um, your opponent's amber at the same time. Uh, now, this can put them into check. It's very situational plays. 
but um, comboed with interdimensional graft, which is um, a one amber card on play. Uh, if your opponent forges their key on their next turn, you get all the remaining amber. Um, so this can cause a massive swing um, in the case of if they're on check already, you can boost them up to 12 and then you get six back in return. Obviously, it only works if, you're, if your opponent's on your their first or second key. Uh, but the thing with this is um, the current deck that I got last night is I have three Binite Ruptures in it. Good Lord. <laughs> so I'm pretty much guaranteed to get that off as much as I hate that combo. Um, it was one of those things where I really wanted that mat, <laughs> so I was going to play it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was a good turnout. There was a lot of stuff, um, some interesting plays. Um, I finally got to play one of my friends, Dennis, from work in an actual tournament scene, so that was great. And uh, he, he gave me a run for the money. Um, but yeah, it was um, some interesting decks. There was some artifacts that I got that uh, I hadn't seen before. Um, one of them was called Fretstrone. Uh, oh, nice. a Logos uh, card where you action it. Um, it's an artifact. Uh, whenever you action it, you take the top two cards of your deck and they get to, if they're Logos, for every um, Logos card you get, you get to capture two onto a friendly creature. And that's pretty much was my only capture in the game. Oh, and wow. I was able to take, um, very luckily, I was able to take one person off their third key and able to burst past them on the last turn. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a good tournament. So I have a question for you. When, when you're playing that, were, were you very fearful when you saw Shadows and the potential of a too much to protect, knowing that you had your Brig combo uh, going off? Yeah. Did you hold off sometimes as a result? Like, Were you playing around it or did you just kind of knew you had to roll the dice? I, I needed to roll the dice because the potential of the gain of that, it was either just like, this is what this deck does and it does it at a kind of slow pace, but you just have to be able to burst past them. Um, the thing when we were analyzing it after, it was, uh, was it 50, 52 SES and it was like a 45 oh, wow. AERC, which was bonkers to see the power cards that actually was in play. Um, so I don't know what's going on with the rating system currently for AOA. Well, we it's figured, actually just showing how great of a player you are, I think. Oh, no, no. It was some of those flukes. But the, the style of that of... Yeah, trying to boost pass, play, you know, roll the dice, you have to take those chances. But you're absolutely right, Blake. If if a good shadow or amber control deck would absolutely blow this thing out of the water. All right, I got to ask you this, Jonathan. One of the things that the folks at home probably don't know about you is that you have a special nickname amongst the local Vancouver players, which is 10 Chains. The reason for that should be obvious. You actually have a deck that has 10 Chains, which means you've played an awful lot of Archon, bringing the same deck out each time trying to work up those power levels, but you won this tournament in a sealed format. What do you prefer when a cool playmat is on the line? Do you want to play the deck that you know is good, that you have lots of practice with, that you're comfortable with, or do you want to go in against opponents who are just as unfamiliar with you at the deck that they just opened up? Uh, I really prefer sealed. Um, it's one of those things where, especially this game, uh, the thing I really like about it is the exploration of it. You find cards that you've never seen before, You've seen interesting combos. You're not relying on your old um, old tricks with a certain deck or something you've learned over time. Um, Seal is just super exciting. You know, you could you could get a bad deck and then turn it around. You know, you can you can learn each game you play, and you you find something really exciting about houses that you might not be familiar with as well. Um, like I haven't got too many on team decks um, in this set in AOA, 
Um, but I, I find the, the absolute power with um, Tadlin and Grovekeeper. Um, being able to control someone's archives, especially going up against an, uh, a logo stack, is super powerful. Because um, they're always trying to set up a turn featured on the line and you're just throwing Tadlin uh, into creatures, not for the damage because it can only do two damage, but just to chip away at that archive uh, and really disrupt their engine. Yeah, I'm, I'm with uh, Jonathan as well. I like Sealed more than Archon as well because I feel like it is a true test. And it's sometimes not even about how good your deck is. It's about how good you are at understanding what your deck does before your opponents do. And the sooner you know how to do that, the bigger advantage you have as the tournament goes on. Because when you know that, you're just increasing that knowledge and that comfort in playing that deck and going through the winning lines of play that exist. And that's kind of why I love Sealed more so than Archon. As always, Keyforge rewards players who play with a variety of decks and really try to learn the game, not just who latch on to one single winning combination or set of houses. We've been going for quite a while already, but we have one more segment that we like to do every single episode of Help from Future Self. It is called, oddly enough, Help, Help from, from Future Self. Future and it's Self. one where we talk a little bit about a lesson in Keyforge that we learned this week. Blake, I know you have one. I have one as well. Jonathan, do you have a help from future self lesson you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I think with new sets coming out, um, it's always interesting to go back and look at previous decks that you might have had. Um, one of the things that I love um, about this game is whenever you come up against certain strategies or certain metas, um, it gets you thinking about like decks that you had in the past that you might have played uh, five or six times and then put it to the wayside and maybe it wasn't quite for you but they can get new life in these new sets. Um, and, and it's also just really fun just to go back and just play absolute trash decks that you have. <laughs> uh, so I actually have one. Um, so my when I first got the game back in November, I had a starter deck um, with two, two Archon decks in it. Uh, one of them was pretty good, actually. It was um, a Logo Sanctum um, Mars deck, I believe. And it has this fun little combo where you can put pretty much two shoulder armor on um, Crix the Adventurer and put rocket boots on him. So he becomes literally this one-man battle line and you can just throw him into um, other people to draw cards. You can pretty much draw your deck and it's very hard to take him out because he's wow. plus two power, plus two armor, times two with two shoulder armors. And it's just a ridiculous kind of funny thing to add more things to them. But saying that, there's the, op the second deck that I got in this it was actually caused one of my friends to stop playing because it was so bad he didn't like the game at all and never came back to it. Uh, it is my trashest deck of all, but I love it so much because it's one of those things where it's like a horrible action movie, but it's so bad, it's so good. <laughs> um, so it's a question to use, actually. What do you think is the worst card in, in Coda? Uh, Tolus. Tolus, 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 Tolus. Dimension Door. Dimension door. Okay. Well, I, I would go for Phosphorus Stars. Phosphorus Stars is the Mars card where uh, it gives you two change and it will stun every non-Mars creature. In this deck, I have four of them. <laughs> so there's eight chains right there. Okay. And I love I love getting chains, but this is a bit ridiculous. Then I get three gateway to discs, which is oh nine God. chains if I play them. So we're 17 chains total if I play this. <laughs> I've got 12 creatures. 
And I've got three inspirations. So inspiration is a sanctum card where you can ready and use a creature, but I can never use it. So it's essentially just me putting down things to disrupt the other person's battle line and just destroying things and giving myself chains until either one of us forfeits or <laughs> we just have a laugh doing it. So it's a fun deck to bring out just the to troll some people. <laughs> the ultimate reversal deck. The one that I wanted to throw out here, little lesson that I had to be reminded of last night, as a matter of fact, is uh, if you're not having fun, it's okay to concede the game. I was in an absolute grinder matchup between one myself and one of our local players. The game had gone on for such a long time. I did not feel like there was an end in sight. And honestly, I couldn't see any way that I wasn't just delaying the inevitable. And I was miserable looking at my hand and my options. And Blake, you tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you, you can concede if you want, because I think you were reading my frustrated energy. And I yep. thought, you know what? You're right. I don't have to keep doing this. It's not why I play this game. It's not to win. And it's not to, you know, squeeze every last moment out of every single matchup. It's to have fun. And if you're not having fun, it's okay to walk away from the table. So I conceded. I shook my opponent's hand, said good game, and I felt good walking away. So that's a little lesson for myself. Just it's okay to walk away from a game, whether you're winning or losing, if it's not a fun game. It doesn't yeah. matter. And I mean, that was in a casual situation. And even if you're in a tournament, sometimes and you don't see the end. You're, you're really just really burning out your mental energy, keeping trying to beat your head against that that wall of, of well, I guess in your case, it was almost a wall, basically a literal card wall. You but, saw it, that board. Was, yeah, was monstrous. You, you don't want to do that because you're just draining yourself from future games if you're playing in a competitive scene as well. So I, I think that's a very valuable lesson. Yeah, great point. What about yourself, Blake? So mine is a lesson of remembering your deck's game plan. Because uh, on the weekend, I was in an Archon event and I did terribly. I brought my Grump Buggy deck, which I think is a lot of fun and has a lot of tricks and shenanigans. And I went one and two with it. And the one game I won was the one game where I basically didn't play Grump Buggy because it was discarded. And I just had to work with it. But the other two games I lost, I lost because I intentionally discarded Grump Buggy because I looked at the Archon card and realized that they had just as many creatures that were going to activate it as I would. The thing that I forgot was that my deck counts on there being the Grump Buggy situation on my side and keys costing more because of the fact that it has doorsteps, it has resonators, it has uh, all these ways that if they have more ember, I can bring them down. So them having more will hurt them more than me having more ember and having to forge. And I completely forgot about that. That's the way the deck plays. So I was just discarding it because of the fact that my keys were going to cost more when really that's actually doesn't matter for me. I just want their keys to cost more. So I completely abandoned my game plan for fear of, basically, I, I almost like... I tried to outsmart myself almost in this situation and it was the wrong play. So I learned a valuable lesson for the deck. So those losses were actually fantastic losses because it made me understand my deck at a higher level. And I know next time I play, I can actually take it to another level. So if you know your deck has a game plan, don't let something necessarily deter you because you got to remember all the tools that exist within your deck to reach that end game that you're looking for. A good lesson to keep in mind, to be sure. We are out of time for this week's episode of Help from Future Self. I'd like to thank Jonathan for coming on the podcast. Jonathan, I look forward to playing against you again in the near future. CMD, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I always look forward to playing with you, Jonathan. You you know you're one of my rivals. Oh, yeah. 
I, I love playing <laughs> Peg as well. <laughs> oh, can I give a shout out to Rick? Actually, it's his birthday tomorrow. Uh, happy birthday, Rick. Yes, happy birthday, Rick. The heart and soul of Help from Future Self will be recording another episode with him very, very soon. He won't be gone for long. All right, you can find Help from Future Self on Twitter at, where is it at, Blake? HFFS Podcast. I am at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, what about yourself, Blake? You can find me at BLVD Paperfight on both Twitter and I have a YouTube as well. And I'm pleased to announce that I'll be contributing some articles on Archon's Corner moving forward. So uh, you can catch some of my literature there on Keyforge. Right on. As organized by a friend of Help from Future Self, the Wiki. Jonathan, you got any socials you want to plug? Uh, not really. I'm on Discord, um, SSJ Cloud 47, um, part of the Vancouver chat there. And yeah, shout out to join um, the Vancouver Facebook group. Uh, we're always looking for more members, more people to enjoy the game with. Sounds good. All right, we got to get out of here. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. And of course, as always, until we speak again, stay fortunate.